Good morning, ACF. Good. I'm glad you guys are here this morning and hopefully awake. Um, hope you saw the post, but don't have coffee. If you're just finding that out now, I'm sorry, okay? We'll do better. Um, welcome to ACF. It's great to have you guys here this morning. If you're visiting us, I just want to say welcome. Thank you guys for being here today. Um, one thing that we just love uh, that happens here is that uh, we go live at this service. And so we just want to welcome those who are watching online. Can we welcome them this morning? And we have people all over the world, people deployed, people who have uh, since PCS or moved on, people up at the slope watching this morning. So it's just cool that they get to join us and be part of our service this morning. Well, we are in a series called Human Steeple. Oh, it's kind of weird. So what does that mean? What is it about? What we've been doing is since Easter, we have been talking about becoming somebody or a person that when people look at us, that they look towards God. That's what the purpose of the steeple was traditionally in towns. It was the highest point of a church. And then when, as you would approach the church, you would look up at the steeple and inevitably your eyes would be looking up towards God. And so what we've said is we are the church. The building is not the church. We are the church. And when people look at us, it should direct their eyes up towards God. Now, how does this happen, and, and how do we do this? And what we're doing is we're walking from Easter to Pentecost, and we've been talking about how do we become that church that is alive and active in the world today. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about the Holy Spirit. And he talked about who is the Holy Spirit, that he is one of the Godhead. That the Holy Spirit is not the third wheel of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not the weird uncle of the Trinity. You know, he's around. You have to acknowledge him, but you don't really want to talk about him or to him much. You know, uh, that is not who the Holy Spirit is. But the Holy Spirit is actually as much God as the Father and as the Son. And he is here today alive and working in our lives. So that's what we talked about last week. So we're going to continue this conversation today. And, and I, I'm excited. Buckle up. This is going to be a ride. Today we are talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just checking to see if anyone's getting up right away to leave. Not yet. I feel like I just, here's a grenade for you and deal with it. So we're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know for so many people in this room that can create thoughts and emotions and feelings all over the gamma spectrum. Some people in this room like, what? This is one of those churches? Are you kidding me? When he's not looking, we'll slip out. We all have to go to the bathroom in three, two, one, go. Okay, if that's you, I ask you just, man, hang with me today. Hang with me this morning. There are other people in this room that are like, it's about time, right? We should be talking about this every Sunday, every week, all the time. Like, why do we not talk about this every week? And, and, and everything in between with emotions. And some, there's, there's some baggage that's there. And, and Man, the church has not done a fantastic job of talking about this and, and portraying this in instances and in situations. And that's been happening since the beginning as well, and so we're not alone in that. So we're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive into this <clears throat> this morning. I titled my message, Can I Get a Witness? And so we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So to begin this message, we have to start out on the same page together. And so I want to talk about some verbiage and some, some words that we're going to use this morning and make sure we're all clear um, on what we're talking about. So when I say the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know I get that from Scripture. And, and specifically from Matthew 3.11, I want to read that for you. Uh, John the Baptist is prophesying of, of Jesus to come. 
and what Jesus is going to do. And he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whom sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that is where we get the term baptism of the Holy Spirit from. But from this moment forward, we don't really see the term baptism of the Holy Spirit used again. I believe there's one other instance uh, in the Gospels where we see it. But once we hit Acts and hit Acts running hard with the Holy Spirit showing up, they don't use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. I feel that's where a lot of confusion comes from. They say filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so for today, and they, they use the word filling of the Holy Spirit in several different instances and in several different ways even that they use it. And they mean different things when they say filling of the Holy Spirit. So we understand where confusion comes from. So for this morning though, for our intents and purposes, when I say baptism of the Holy Spirit and when I say filling of the Holy Spirit, I am talking about for this morning the same thing. I am talking about the same thing, the thing that John prophesied that was to come and that Jesus which we will see later, talked about which is to come. And so that is what I'm talking about for this morning in, in all intents and purposes. So I want us to be on the same page as that. Secondly, we have another term, and that is being born of the Spirit or having the Holy Spirit. See, these are two different things that I want us to understand uh, that we have. And so this begins the question, do I, don't I have the Holy Spirit? Wait, what? So from my understanding, Josh, what you're saying is if I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit. But then you're saying I need to be filled with the Spirit. So do I not have the Spirit? Do I do have the Spirit? Do I have the Holy Spirit and he leaks out of me? That's just why I need to be filled up again with him? Like what is going on here? And again, I see why there's so much confusion with this. And so what I want us to do is understand this. We're going to start out with this understanding that if you are a Christian in this room, if you've submitted your life to Jesus and, and, and you've asked Jesus into your life, you have the Holy Spirit. This is, this is very important. We're going to hang here for just a moment. You need to understand, church, that if you have Jesus in your life, if you surrender to him, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. You, however, are not flesh, but you are spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you have the spirit of God living in you. Paul says that if you have the spirit of God, you belong to Jesus. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Jesus. Again, confusion in this. There were questions last week as Brian was talking about the Holy Spirit. People were going, wait, wait, I thought everybody had the Holy Spirit. Like you're born with the Holy Spirit. No, you're not. That if you've not submitted your life to Christ, you do not have the Spirit of God living in you. But if you have, you do. And listen to what Paul says here. This is amazing. Like I think we just need to remember this, church. That the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. Not just this kind of ambiguous thing, not sure what it is, can't put my finger on it, weird uncle like living inside of me, no. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you today. Jesus says this in John chapter three, this is a very famous passage. Jesus is talking 
to a Pharisee who is starting to believe in Jesus, but he doesn't want his Pharisee buddies to find out. So he comes to Jesus at night. His name is Nicodemus. And he starts having this conversation with Jesus. And this is what Jesus tells Nicodemus. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. It is where we get the term born again. Jesus literally says you must be born again. And what he's talking about is you must be born in the spirit. To be alive, to enter the kingdom of God, you must have the Holy Spirit living in you. And when you say yes to Jesus, you are born again, and now you have the spirit of God living in you. <clears throat> again, this is big news. And, and, and this is not new news for us, but it is big news that we need to understand and live by the Spirit of God living in us. I want to jump us back to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel is having this conversation with God. And God is telling him all this stuff he's about to do. And, and, and maybe you've heard the passage of the dry bones. And all these things is about to happen. But what God tells Ezekiel is incredible. God tells Ezekiel that one day, a time is coming, where I will remove your heart of stone... I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit inside of you. Now, Ezekiel, hearing God say this, his mind is, is blown. It is blowing up as God is telling him this. Now, I don't know if you've ever been like me, but there's been times in my life where I've been like, man, I wish I could live in Old Testament times, right? Like, if I could have just seen God part the Red Sea, if I could have just seen the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, right? Like, if I just could have seen manna appear from heaven, if I could have just seen the Jordan dry up, if I just could have seen the walls of Jericho fall down, if I could have just seen the fire fall from heaven and consume the sacrifice, then I would have great faith, right? Yeah. That worked out well for Israel. Right? They seem to see that, and yet, what? God? I don't know. I'm going to serve this God. Right? But I used to think that, man, I want to have this deep faith in God that is unshakable, and if I could just see that. And yet now we have God talking to Ezekiel, saying, one day I will put my spirit in humanity. Up to this point, all Ezekiel's understood and known of God's spirit is that it resides in a box and if you touch that box, you die. Right? Like this Ark of the Covenant is where God had kind of confined his spirit. Now, yes, he is omnipresent. He was everywhere. But God's kind of shown his power through the Ark of the Covenant. This is where he restrained himself to. And you did not go near that thing unless you were called upon or supposed to. And, and, and this God in the box was the same God that parted the Red Seas, was the same God that was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, was the same God that dried up the Jordan, the same God that caused the walls of Jericho to fall, the same God that fell from heaven consumed. Like, Ezekiel understood this God, and now this God is saying, one day my spirit will live in humanity. I can guarantee you Ezekiel's like, oh, if I could just live during that time. Oh my goodness, if I could just experience this God living in humanity. Church, that's us today. We have that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead alive in us. And some of us need to just be woken up to that truth. To know that we have victory over sin. Sin does not have victory over us. That it's been defeated through the spirit of God. And now that spirit is alive in us. To walk in that power daily. To understand that. You see, we have the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian in this room. You have the Spirit of God in you. But 
we do see something else in the New Testament. Something more than just having the Holy Spirit. Something other than that. And that is what we're calling this morning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I want us to understand that <clears throat> you can have the Holy Spirit and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can, you can have the Holy Spirit and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the book of Acts. And we see it several times. One of the times Pastor Brian talked about last week in Acts chapter 19. Where people, uh, a group of guys receive, they receive salvation. And then they meet Paul on the road. And they're telling Paul about their salvation. And he's like, awesome, now did you receive the Holy Spirit as well? And they said, we haven't even heard about a Holy Spirit. What is that? And Paul's like, all right, here we go. And he lays his hands on them and they're baptized, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now they already had the Holy Spirit, but now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want us to look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they may receive the Holy Spirit, for, they had, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, there are two separate instances where people, when you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. But now we see there's a, a baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to kind of understand it this way. This, this will help. Because what I'm not saying is like if you, don't, if you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not at work in your life. I am, I'm not saying that at all. You see, but to help us understand, what I want us to understand is that there is, we'll call it natural works of the Holy Spirit and supernatural works of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand all works of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. But for all intents and purposes, we have natural and supernatural. And natural works of the Holy Spirit are things like this, what it talks about in Scripture. Conviction of sin. It says that the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the world of its sin. And so that would be what we would call a natural work of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever felt convicted for sin in your life, that is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. He works in, in Christians' lives and non-Christians' lives. Because non-Christians can definitely feel conviction from their sin. And that is the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. We see the Holy Spirit um, guides us to truth. So if you've ever picked up the scriptures and read and been guided to truth or you sat and listened to a sermon, listened to a podcast and you've been guided to truth, a deeper truth and you've understood God in a deeper way, then that is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You are not smart enough to come to that conclusion of who God is. That is what the Pharisees tried to do. They tried to be, uh, uh, they tried to be smart enough, they tried to have you know, enough schooling and all this stuff to deduct in their minds of who God was but they were missing it. But if you've ever had a deeper truth of who God is in your life, that is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Um, the Holy Spirit, a, a natural work of the Holy Spirit is regeneration is what we call it. And we get the term regeneration, the understanding of that is from Ezekiel 36 when God says, I'll remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. Regeneration. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we would call a natural work of the Holy Spirit. Um, again, all these things. Uh, sanctification process of the Holy Spirit. When your flesh is becoming more holy like God. Your spirit is holy, but now when your flesh is becoming more holy through your life to become more like God and you submit it to the will of God, that is sanctification. And that is a natural work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. I am not saying that baptism in the Holy Spirit means that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then he's not at work in your life. That's not what we're saying. Please don't hear that this morning. 
So we want to talk about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit then? What is its purpose? Before we dive into what is it, what is it not first? Really important. Um, last week, Brian talked about the Holy Spirit is not the force, okay? Um, so if the Holy Spirit is not the force, baptism in the Holy Spirit does not make you a Jedi Knight, all right? It's like, hey, I need some coffee. Ah! Holy Spirit, yes, look at that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, huh? Does not make you a Jedi Knight. Baptism in the Holy Spirit does not make you more loved by God. You are absolutely 100% loved beyond anything you can comprehend. And God cannot love you anymore because it is fully love. And God does not love you anymore if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, it is not reserved for the super Christian. It is not reserved for just the leadership. It is for all. It is for the church, the body, us. Um, baptism in the Holy Spirit um, is not the fruits of the Spirit. Important. You can have the fruits of the Spirit active in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. These things, these are natural movements. Again, natural movements of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. That is not baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can have the fruits of the Spirit and not be baptized. Again, it is not sanctification. The Holy Spirit is at work in all Christians' lives, making us be more like God, more holy in all of our lives. And so it is not sanctification. So... If that is what it is not, what is it? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? I want to say this. I want to define baptism in the Holy Spirit like this. That it is the highest form of assurance of our salvation that we can have. Baptism in the Holy Spirit brings us to the highest form of assurance of our salvation that we can possibly have. If you have doubt, if you have questions, if you are unsure of your salvation, which I understand we've all kind of been there at times in our lives, but if you have that in your spirit, then your witness will be affected by that. And so baptism in the Holy Spirit is to give us the highest form of assurance of our salvation, which, le which moves us, which we'll talk about in a minute, from being an advocate to a witness for Christ. I want to read this, uh, Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I would say that is what baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit and we know that we are children of God. Do you have a cry, a longing in your heart that cries out, Abba, Father? Not a deduction of your mind that says, yes, I know that God is my Abba, which is Daddy. I know that, so I know I can go to Him and call Him that. No, but, but an actual cry in your soul that that is how you see God. You see, do you possess that sort of assurance? Like how different would our lives look if, if they were earmarked by the peace and the joy that comes with that? No matter what the circumstances were, that our, our lives are earmarked by a peace and a joy because we have a full assurance of our salvation. And that no matter what happens to us in our lives, we can know that we are gods and that brings us a, a supernatural peace and joy. See, that is how the church conquered an empire. 
because this church had the supernatural joy that even though they're being marched into the Colosseums for their execution, they went on rejoicing because they knew that they belonged to God. See, what the Holy Spirit does is make real to us the things which we have believed by faith. That when, when the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, what it does is it, it makes real to us those things which we have believed by faith. Listen to 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Again, the thing that we have believed by faith, we've now experienced. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, Peter's writing this to a church that knows that they are probably going to die for their faith. Right? He's not writing this just to the church leaders. He's writing this to everybody. And, and, and everybody he knows who's reading this is, is like, knows that there's a good, good chance they're going to die for their faith. And what does he write? He says, first of all, though you don't see him, you love him. Why do they have this depth of love in their heart? Because God's spirit has bared witness with their spirit. And what the result of that is, <clears throat> is they rejoice with an inexpressible joy and glory, even though they are probably going to die for their faith. See, the truth is we all have assurance of our faith. If you are a Christian, you can have assurance of your faith. Please don't hear me and say, oh, well, if I have not experienced this baptism of the Holy Spirit, I don't have assurance. No, no, no. We all have assurance of our faith. Again, natural and supernatural things. And that, I, I believe there's kind of like three kind of depths or three levels of assurance. And the first one is this. It's the assurance of deduction. And the assurance of deduction is this. It is that I can read the scriptures and I can see that it says that if I confess Jesus with my mouth, that he is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. So what do I do? I confess, God, you are Lord over my life. And I do believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead, so I can know that I am saved. Now, first of all, just the fact that I can do that is the working of the Holy Spirit in my life. So again, we see this Holy Spirit's at work in my life. And I can read scripture, and I can deduct from reading scripture that I am saved. That is the first kind of depth of assurance. And then we have a second depth of assurance, and that is self-examination. And self-examination looks like this. Man, six months ago, I said yes to Jesus, and now this anger problem that I had towards my family, towards my kids, towards my coworker, towards the Glen Highway, right? This anger problem that I had is starting to dissipate. It's like I'm not finding myself just losing my mind over the smallest things that I used to. And I can see that the Holy Spirit is leading me in sanctification, and I can see the result of that in my life, and so I can deduct through self-examination that I am saved. I love this, this, 1 John, I wanted to throw this in there, 1 John 5, 13. This is how John says that we can know we're saved through self-examination. That you who believe on the Son of God might know that you have eternal life. How do we know? We know that we have passed from death to life because... We love the brethren. And that's a whole different sermon right there. Wait, how do I know, John, that I've passed from death to life? Because you love the brethren. You come to the gathering, and you have a love for people who have different political backgrounds than you. I mean, miracle right there, right? Done. You have a love for people that have different um, economical, social backgrounds, right? Different ethnicities, 
a room full of different people, yet we love each other. Why? Because we all know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Self-examination. And yet now I want to talk about this third depth of assurance. And this third depth of, depth of assurance is this supernatural form of assurance. And that is when the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. And all of a sudden, that which we knew from deduction, that which we believe by faith, we have now experienced in our souls. And the best way I think I can describe it to you is this. Let's say that a husband and wife, newly married, come together and get pregnant and they have this kid. And now the dad has to go and he, he has to be deployed. Some of you have experienced this. But for the sake of our story, this is no ordinary deployment. He's gone for years and years. And as he's gone, the son is being raised up and the mother is telling the son every day, you have a father and he loves you. You have a father and he loves you. And every day, dad is writing these letters to the son. And every day the son gets a letter in the mail from dad. I love you so much. I can't wait to be with you. And he tells him about himself. He tells him what he's doing and all these things. And years goes by. I can guarantee you that that son has an assurance of the father's love for him in his life. He's experienced it. He's received gifts from the father, right? He's received these letters from the father. He sees it in the mother's eyes as the mother talks about the, the child's father and how much he loves him. He has an assurance of faith through deduction. And through self-examination and seeing that I'm receiving these gifts, I have this love for the father. But then comes the day when the father comes home from deployment. And now the son gets to be held in the father's arms. The son gets to get on the floor and wrestle with dad. See, the son went from understanding the father's love to experiencing the father's love in a moment. And I can guarantee you that there was a new depth of assurance in that son's life. And I would call that the supernatural assurance of when God's spirit bears witness with our spirit. And you see, when that happens, that moves us from being an advocate for God to a witness for him and of him. And so what do you mean by that, Josh? Well, what is an advocate? An advocate is somebody who is passionate about something. They may fundraise. They may give their money. They may set up, you know, corporations and all this stuff to be an advocate for something. A great example of that is there's a lot of ladies in this church and a lot of ladies in this community that are advocates for women who are, who are victims of the sex trade industry. There's, there's a ministry called Priceless and we, we partnered with them last week and, and did some amazing stuff with them. <clears throat> and the women in this church and in this community in Anchorage and all over, they are advocates. But then there's women who are witnesses who have actually experienced the horrors of the sex trade industry. And I would say to you that their witness is far more powerful when they speak than when an advocate speaks. Now people listen to the advocate and they do amazing things and they are at work for what they are an advocate for. But when a witness speaks, it bears something so much more powerful behind it. And you see, when we, when we, we want to move from a, being an advocate to a witness, and when we experience this spirit bearing witness to our spirit, See, the best example I can explain to you out of Scripture is Peter. I love Peter. He's, he's my favorite character of Scripture because he's always screwing up. And so I, I feel like I can relate to that. I feel like, okay, he set a pretty low bar. So I think I can do that. And, and, and we see Peter, and he, he is a witness to Jesus, right? He spends three years with Jesus, and he kind of even gets the inside track. Right, he gets to see Jesus transfigured in all of his glory. So he sees Jesus for who he really is. 
And then what does that do to Peter's life? That radically changes him, right? He doesn't deny Jesus. He doesn't stick his foot in his mouth anymore. No, just very shortly after he sees him transfigured, he goes and he's denying that he even knew Jesus. And not to some big Roman centurion guard that's going to kill him. No, to some like, I'm guessing, 15-year-old girl. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the maid or the servant of the place. And she's like, hey, aren't you friends with Jesus? And he's like, what? No, blankety-blank you. I didn't know the man. Okay, sorry. Right, like that's the Peter, right? Who very shortly after that, right, very shortly after that, all of the sudden moves from this, this, you could say he's a witness, but he's really an advocate for Christ. But then listen to what happens. Listen to what happens. This is Jesus talking to the disciples in Acts 1-8. Now many, many of you will know this scripture. This is a very popular scripture. And, and, and this is what Jesus says. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and that was okay. Actually, that wasn't even okay. And you'll be my witnesses to where? Awesome. Who's heard that preach before? Who's read that before? Who's heard that verse before? Most of the people in this room. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? You will be my what? Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. And he's talking to the disciples. So it's like, yeah, of course they've all witnessed him before. But, again, how many of you guys have heard that verse before? Awesome majority of you guys. How many of you guys know that I left out a part of that verse? Like when you saw that, you're like, oh, wait, there's something missing. All right, a few hands. What is the whole entirety of that verse? Acts 1-8. Can you put it up there? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. You see, Jesus even talking to the disciples, he's like, don't go anywhere. Don't try to be my witnesses because you will screw it up. This is really important, guys. Like, I'm leaving. I must go so that the Holy Spirit can come. But don't go anywhere yet. Wait until you receive power and move from being an advocate to a witness. You see, this same Peter who was denying Jesus, like, 50 days later, I guess 52 days later, 53 days later, he stands up, the Holy Spirit falls on him, and he talks to all the people who were screaming crucify, who... who who in regards would probably want Peter dead for saying this, but he doesn't care. And also he preaches out of Joel, and they're all cut to the heart. And 3,000 of them give their lives to Christ. The same Peter moves from being an advocate to a witness. As all of a sudden his spirit has bared witness. The spirit of the Father has bared witness with Peter's spirit. And now he's experienced the love of the Father in a way that he never had before. And now he's a witness for Christ. A few days after Pentecost, Peter and John are, are walking and they see this lame man, and, and they, they have this exchange, and they heal him, and he stands up, and he's rejoicing. He's telling everybody about Jesus. And now Peter and John get brought before the Sanhedrin, probably some of the same men who condemned Jesus to death. And, and Peter and John know that they have the power to at least put him in prison. And before, Peter's in this situation, and he cowers away from it. But now Peter stands up, and he preaches to the Sanhedrin. And this is what they say about them. It says that the Sanhedrin could see that these guys were unlearned, uneducated men. Yeah, that's Doles, right? And it said of Josh that he was an unlearned, uneducated man. Thanks for that one, little stinger right there, huh? But then it says, but they could see that they had been with Jesus. 
they could see that these men had been with Jesus. And I used to read that and think, well, that's not fair. They got to walk with Jesus for years. Of course they had been with Jesus. That's not what they're talking about. That is not what they saw in Peter and John that day. That is not what they saw. Because Peter and John had been, or not John, but Peter had been denying Jesus all over the place. And now, you know, a few months later, he's in their face preaching the gospel. What changed? He went from being an advocate to a witness of the love of God. And now he has an assurance of his faith that he has never experienced before. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit always is associated and primarily related to uh, specifically with witness, testimony, and service. See, it's not just about us feeling better about ourselves. Now, that is a byproduct that we're assured of our faith, but that assurance of our faith should lead us to having a, a greater testimony, a greater witness, and into service. That we are driven to have service. We are driven to testify. We're dri driven to bear witness of this spirit that we have experienced. It's just a powerful thing. And my question to you and my question to me was, when the last time I was driven in my testimony to share it with somebody? When was the last time I was driven to be a witness for Christ? When was the last time I was driven to serve? To serve the poor, the needy, the desolate. Those in prison, which we're going to get an opportunity to do here at ACF. Those who are sick, Right? The orphans, the widows, when are we driven for that type of service? You see, you can do these things. You can have a testimony, and you can, and you can uh, have a witness, and you can, you can um, serve people and not be filled with or baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying you can't do these things, but when we, when we are filled with the Spirit, when God's witness bears, bears witness, when God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit, all of a sudden there's like this greater, deeper power that comes from that assurance of our faith. And again, it's that advocate testimony versus the witness testimony. And it changes things in a powerful, powerful way in our lives. So how? How do we experience this thing? What does that look like? I just want to say this. Expectation without agenda. Paul calls us to desire this thing. Paul calls us to expect this thing. But I would say to you that we would not have an agenda. In other words, when I say not have an agenda, be like, well, I've heard of it looking and sounding and happening like this. Or I know it hasn't happened unless this particular thing shows up in my life. Or, you know, well, it looked like this for that guy. And so, no, expectations, expect it, desire it from God. Yet don't have an agenda of you think you know how God is going to move and act and work in your life in this way. We see this in Luke 11, Jesus talking to us. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be open. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, instead gives him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking. What do we do with our part? Ask, seek, and knock. Desire all that God has for you today. Don't be okay with some of what God has for you. Don't be okay with eh, status quo. Desire God. Expect to be met when we ask and we seek and we knock. And it's this, this ask and seek and knock is kind of this picture of, of like being relentless. 
Not like, oh, God, give me the Holy Spirit today, Monday morning. Well, whatever. Yeah, we tried. Didn't work. Whatever. Newer, better, bigger, different things work. No, desire it. Seek for what God has for you. Desire God. But don't expect to know this is what it will look like. Expectation without agenda. I want to read this to you. This is a quote from a book called Joy Unexplainable. Or, I'm sorry, Joy Unspeakable. And I love this. This is what I'm trying to say to us today, church. This is what I want us to hear. What I am trying to put to you is this. I am certain that the world outside is not going to pay much attention to all the organized efforts of the Christian church. The one thing she will pay attention to is a body of people filled with the spirit of rejoicing. That is how Christianity conquered the ancient world. It was this amazing joy of these people, even when you threw them into prison or even to death, it did not matter, for they went on rejoicing, rejoicing in tribulation. So there is nothing more important for us to understand than this teaching and is to, for us to experience it in our own personal and daily lives. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is about us, certain in our faith, empowered to advance the church in this world. It is about our witness, it is about our testimony, and it is about our service to be empowered to advance the church in this world. Pray that that is the desire of your heart. I pray that that is what makes you want to get up in the morning is to see the kingdom of God advance in this world. I pray that you would seek this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this filling of the Holy Spirit, that it would change you from being an advocate to a witness, that you would have experienced the love of the Father as His Spirit bears witness with your spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much, God, that you are alive and you are alive in us. God, I thank you that we do not deserve the workings of the Holy Spirit, but he is at work constantly in our lives. Lord, but I pray that we would experience as a church together, Lord, this deeper assurance, God, this supernatural assurance of our faith God, let us experience your spirit bearing witness with our spirit. God, that we would experience the love of the Father. God, what would Eagle River look like if a church experienced that together? That our, our unified heartbeat would be an advancement of your kingdom in this world, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. God, that we would have this supernatural testimony and witness, God, and be driven for service to serve you. Lord, let us experience these deeper things. God, let us experience and desire all that you have for us. Lord, we come before you now and we ask, God, and we are seeking for that, Lord, and we are knocking. Lord, I pray, let us experience this filling of your Holy Spirit together. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys.